I'm sorry I can't do that, Kristen. <laughs> but I haven't asked you my question yet. I still can't do it. Oh, this is bringing strong 2001 Space Odyssey vibes. The far-reaching future of 2001. <laughs> I loved that movie. Have you finished it yet? I have not. <laughs> but I cannot do that. <laughs> Great movie. Want to see it in a drive-in. Yes, you did mention that. Yes. Now I'm mentioning it to everyone, so now it's out there. Yeah. Someone make it happen. <laughs> yes. You also mentioned that I fell asleep during it. Yes, you did. I was tired. Yeah, that's true. I'm a tired boy. <laughs> Usually. Well, I have three things for our opening. Oh, good. And I thought of all three of them during my run this afternoon. That's great. The that's, uh, what's it called? Coming through in the clutch. So my first thought was, whoa, there are a lot of sharks out here. <laughs> I... <laughs> sure that relates somehow oh i didn't say they were all related okay <laughs> that was the first one that i thought and i thought everybody should know i saw a bunch of sharks today the second one is i wanted to say hi to kathy g oh she's been really awesome on twitter and she has subscribed so now we are closer to me getting that awful tattoo yeah. kip's tattoo yes and i am so excited. Can't wait. So that's really fun. So hello. <laughs> and my third is we are doing Ghost in the Machine. We are. And I was wondering, have you ever worked with someone like this Lamana character? No. I have not had very many office jobs. And the ones I had were very, your work was your own. Mm, autonomous jobs. Yeah, it was uh, accounting. Oh, not partnered jobs? No, it was like, here, the stack of bills to pay is yours. The stack <laughs> of bills to pay is yours. Okay, yeah, because man, what a character. Yeah. Didn't like him. No, he was very annoying. I wonder if that actor did much else. I don't know. I didn't think to look. But if you have a story about working with someone like Lamana, I would love to hear it. So just tweet at me at the cast files, or no, at cast files on Twitter, and maybe I'll share some. Yeah. You can keep them anonymous, that's fine. You can keep them non-anonymous as well. <laughs> I can, I can go call, after some of your old coworkers. Call everybody out by name. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd be interested. That would be crazy. I don't know. I don't want to burn anybody. I do. Real people? <laughs> yes. <laughs> burn all the people. Oh, no. Well, okay. So we did Ghost in the Machine. We haven't seen much character development with Scully still. No, the only development we've gotten out of her so far is that her and Mulder are starting to really click. Yes, and I do appreciate that. I was just another thing I was thinking on my run today. It was a long run, guys. I was thinking a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm wondering when the Scully's character will kick in. Oh, another reason I'm thinking about this is because I'm reading Devil's Advocate to my 14-year-old and my husband, and it's the air quote Scully backstory. That's our bonus content, and I will not be sharing how I feel about it on the regular feed because that's premium content. Right there. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to do a bonus chapter or something. Oh, that's all Patreon. That's behind the paywall. <laughs> Because there's cussing. Oh, yeah. We don't do cussing on the regular feed. Okay, I might have to do a cut a chapter with Riley because he's not cussing. He wasn't. Don't look at me like that. It would be odd for him not to, actually. I'm yes. not going to put the chapter <laughs> where you're eating pizza directly into the microphone. <laughs> Unless you guys want that as ASMR, just let me know. I guess we can cut that, too. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to dropping it. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, do you have anything else to say about Ghost in the Machine or 2001 Space Odyssey or... I'm afraid I don't, Kristen. <laughs> 
<laughs> I read a whole article about how 2001 A Space Odyssey is about food. I must have seen that over your shoulder. No, you didn't. So I don't know why I would have seen that. You were asleep in bed snoring. Then apparently I saw that same article for some reason. You know why? Why? I tweeted it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's why. Wow. <laughs> So, also curious about your Space Odyssey takes. I loved the costumes. Yeah, I think it's a movie about fashion. Oh, uh, fashion. In the far Turn reaching, to the left. In the far-reaching future of 2001. Fashion and tiny chairs. Like, why have we taken the normal, the standard height of chairs and reduced it by four and a half inches? You don't remember that from 2001? All my chairs were tiny. <laughs> I never sat. See, I was... 2001 was the year I never sat. <laughs> I turned 24 at the end of 2001 <laughs> and all my tiny, tiny chairs. <laughs> I was too busy not sitting. Mm-mm. Makes sense. Uh, I guess just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, please. Please, please. <laughs> and and say hi on Twitter. And say Come say hi on Twitter. Primarily it's me on Cast Files. Yeah, you can find me on my personal one. All right, well, here's the episode. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I'm a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. This episode is Season 1, Episode 7, Ghost in the Machine. It originally aired October 29th, 1993, to a viewership of 9.5 million. It was directed by Gerald Freeman and written by Alex Ganza and Howard Morgan. So, David, before we get started, how did you feel about this episode? I don't have any strong feelings about this episode in particular. It seems a little not supernatural. Yeah. Which I have a note about later. I looked at some of the reviews, which is why I asked up top, and I'll get into some of the wild reviews later. But I did want to give you the inside scoop up top while we're talking about the writers. So Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza have admitted that they were not computer literate. (laughs) That makes sense. And they felt this was a detriment to their writing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, fortunately, I'd say what the nature of their computer, you don't need to be computer literate about because they're just making stuff up. I agree. Gordon was disappointed in the episode stating that it it still qualifies as one of my biggest disappointments. (laughs) Wow. He also ranked it as the worst episode of the first season. Oh, wow. Worse than Squeeze. Yeah. Okay. It's funny how much we come back to Squeeze because we really liked Henry Longstreet. Yeah, Harry. Oh. Harry Longstreet. Really liked (laughs) man whose name I got wrong. Okay, so you ready to get into it? Yeah. So we start out in Crystal City, Virginia, headquarters of a software company called Eurisco. Founder Brad Wilczek and Chief Executive Officer Benjamin Drake are arguing about downsizing measures. Drake's tone of voice is so off-putting, we both looked at the screen at the same time to see if it was coming from him. Yeah, he sounds like he's dubbed. 
It's really wild. Later, he sounds okay, but that opening, he does. He sounds dubbed. Yeah, I wonder if at shoot during shooting they couldn't capture his voice or something, and he had to re redub his own voice. Oh, maybe it was weird. I just noticed that we both looked up at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. So they are arguing, and Wilczek yells, "You're killing me! You're killing my company!" And he storms out. Before he slams the door, he says, "You're going to regret this." Man, I can't remember what it was that he said, but he said something that made me write down oh is this gonna be one of those episodes where i agree with the quote bad guy (laughs) because i remember being like i'm on wheelcheck's side in this argument yes he was because he was talking about cutting budgets to research and development and if the um the other guy drake guy is obviously the standard ceo bad guy executive executive bad guy guy yes and brad is the artist who created the company yes got forced out somehow yes so after Wilczek leaves, that's Brad, Drake writes a memo proposing to shut down the central operating system, which is also known as the COS. It is the computer which runs the Eurisco building, which is an interesting thing to want to shut down. If this computer is running your entire building, why yeah. is that the project you shut down? Even if it's not making any money for you, it still runs everything? It's running the entire building. So you're just going to shut up, shut down the power to the building? <laughs> So I looked up more into this scene and I found a website called the X-Files Transcripts Archive. And what they've done is they've transcribed different parts of the show and I pulled little bits from them. So I'll let you know when I I do that because I want to give credit to the people who actually did it. Okay. So this little blurb is when we are in Drake's office and they uh, identify Drake as suit guy. Nice. And in a recorded voice, it says, New paragraph. As I'm sure everyone on the board will agree, Eurisco has to face head-on the realities on an increasingly competitive world. Since the unfortunate departure of Brad Wilczek, I have made certain recommendations which I believe will reposition Eurisco as an industry leader. So just a bunch of words that mean nothing. At the top of this list is the immediate termination of the COS project. Its disastrous performance over the past three quarters and projected losses well into 1994 leave us no other choice. That's the end with my one little exclamation in there. I want to know why the COS project is supposed to be making money. I have no idea. It's disastrous performance over the past three quarters. Are they just dumping tons and tons of money into the upkeep of this? It doesn't make any sense. I think that's where the writers are (laughs) not knowing what computers do. Ah, except this is business. This isn't computers. But it's it's computer business. Hmm. I think it's just business business. But you know what? I'm not a business guy. Or a computer guy. I'm neither. Then we see a shot through the surveillance camera. The COS is setting up a trap and lures Drake into a bathroom by flooding the sink. This sink is one of those where you don't have any knobs. So super fancy for 1993, but also didn't work in 1993, doesn't work in 2021. (laughs) It's one of those that's like a waterfall thing. So I don't know how you operate one of those without a knob. He's wiped his hand across it like he was trying to get it to pick up on him, but it ignores him. They all ignore me, so don't feel bad, Drake. Drake hears the water splashing on the floor from the bathroom and goes to investigate. While he's in the bathroom, the phone rings. A recording tells him the time. The recording is obviously Wilczek's voice as he created the COS and most likely voiced its commands. 
It's obviously Wilczek. The actor who plays Wilczek has a voice that's recognizable. And so we had this whole first scene with Wilczek. And then 30 seconds later, we hear his voice again. It's not long enough for us to have forgotten his very (laughs) specific voice. Even if it's a little bit mechanical. The door locks behind Drake, who is now standing in water. And he tries a key card, which fails. I asked, why is there a key card to leave a personal bathroom? This bathroom is in his office. It's not outside his office. This is Drake's personal bathroom. He also can't get out with the key card, so he has to insert his key to manually override the locked door from the inside of his personal bathroom. Who set this up? Somebody who doesn't know how computers work. Or bathrooms. When was the last time you needed a key card and a physical key to get out of a bathroom? It all comes down to not knowing what computers do. (laughs) All all trails lead to that. All right. Well, he puts the key in the ignition. (laughs) (laughs) It It certainly turns into one. And he's fatally electrocuted. We see the COS down in the COS room, wherever that is. And it says, file deleted, which may be the funniest line in this whole episode. Because the voice that does it too is just like, it's, oh, it sounds like a Cylon. The voice sounds like a Cylon, file deleted. It doesn't sound like Wilczek. No. And it's the deepest voice and it murdered a guy (laughs) and called that file deleted. Yeah, the body's still there, so the file's not deleted. It isn't. There's evidence everywhere. You know what? The hard drive is there, but the files are deleted because his brain's done. (gasps) Ooh! Yes! Good job, you and the COS. Yeah, I'm as (laughs) smart as the COS. (laughs) So that was our opening scene and our opening murder, because there has to be an opening murder, or else there's no... Reason to have a show. Right. Or I guess a kidnapping. We did have a kidnapping. So it's Halloween. Do you know how we know? I don't know how I know. I didn't know it was Halloween. Oh, it is Halloween because there is a single orange jack-o'-lantern <laughs> in the FBI building. And when Lamana comes in, he grabs a piece of candy out of the single jack-o'-lantern and puts it in his pocket. Nice. Happy Halloween. It did uh, air October 29th. There's one other reference where Mulder says trick or treat way later. So this is their whole big spooky Halloween <laughs> This is the Halloween episode of X-Files. Wow. That's, that's double disappointing. It really is. There couldn't be werewolves or anything. Right? Uh. No, it had to be the computer that nobody knew how to write. Agent Lamana approaches Mulder and Scully at the lunch cart. They're in the FBI building and he comes up to them. He's there for help. Apparently, he used to work with Mulder, and he's a real strange character. So I feel like the writers not only didn't know how to write about the about computer stuff, but they also didn't know how to write about interpersonal relationships. <laughs> <laughs> you would think, since they're a writing team, that they would know how friendships work. Right. So <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting interaction. Mulder is obviously uncomfortable that Lamana has shown up. Yeah. But we don't know why yet. Lamana is asking for help. He says that the person in charge of this murder investigation is Nancy Spiller, a.k.a. the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. <laughs> and when Scully, so Scully knows who she is. And when Scully says we called her the Iron Maiden, Lamana says on a good day. And it's apparent before we know anything about Lamana that he's in real trouble. And they also never show why this lady's supposed to be such an a-hole. 
No, we don't see she's her at all. She's perfectly... We see her once in the profile Oh, you're right. You're scene, right. But she's just perfectly reasonable. She's like, okay, good job. Right. <laughs> she's just listening to a profile being... <laughs> and, and saying, good job. You're right. You're right. I forgot about that part, but yes. This is the first time that we see Mulder refuse to help a colleague. So if you think about it, in the other episodes when he was called in and even with other people not wanting his air quotes not wanting his help or making fun of the x-files or whatever Mulder was still very gung-ho about getting to the answers he would brush people off when they made fun of him and a variety of things he was just very into the the scene this is the first time that he says no Mulder actually says look Jerry I'd like to help you out but we're not on general assignment yeah And you're like, wait a second. And so we immediately know something's up. Not only is it the first time that he has not jumped at helping a colleague, it's the first time he's heard of a crime and wasn't like, I can solve this because it was aliens. That's also true. That's, (laughs) yeah. Scully mentions, ah, dude sprained his ankle the other day. And he's like, I can get to the bottom of this. (laughs) This is is aliens. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, CEO got murdered. And he's like, yeah, good luck with that. Not my problem. Right. When Mulder says, thanks, but no thanks, Lamana lays it on thick. He says, Drake wasn't just a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He was a good friend of the Attorney General's. To which you said, of course he was. <laughs> yeah. Every CEO of everything is in tight with some politician. Of course. Maybe in 1993 we didn't know that. I'm sure. Well, I mean, I was 16 when this aired. Yeah, I knew that when I was 16. To be fair, I was 10, so I probably didn't care. Probably not. In the next scene, Mulder and Scully were on their way to the Eurisco World Headquarters. Scully asks why he and Lamana were no longer partners. It's a cute scene where they banter back and forth, but it does give us some real insight into Lamana's work style, the FBI's capabilities when dealing with hate crimes, and how mediocre white guys fail up. <laughs> I don't. He's Lamana's not failing up though. But he didn't. Well, we'll get to what happened because the next I pulled this bit from that same website I mentioned earlier. Scully says, how come you two went your separate ways? Mulder, I'm a pain in the ass to work with. Scully, seriously? Mulder, I'm not a pain in the ass. We had different career goals. Jerry wanted the fifth floor. Scully, and you? Mulder, I was gunning for a basement office with no heater windows. So we find out that Jerry had a bit of bad luck in Atlanta working hate crimes. When Scully asks what kind of bad luck, Mulder says he misplaced a piece of evidence, bagged and everything, sent it to the cleaners. By the time he got it back, a federal judge had lost both his hands and his right eye. I want to know what kind of evidence would stop that from happening. Me too. Because what? Even if it's evidence that tells you who the person is that wants to hurt this judge, you would still know that. Right. So you could tell somebody, hey, this person is the one who wants to hurt that judge. Keep an eye on them. Instead, this evidence causes a judge to lose his hands and an eye. (laughs) I am confused. You are confused? I am confused. (laughs) One confused? (laughs) They go to the elevator and on their way up to Drake's office on the 29th floor, which is really the 28th floor because there is no 13th floor. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The agent's elevator stalls. Scully falls hard it looked real it looked like jillian anderson fell down yes it did when the elevator doesn't start up again after she gets off the floor she calls the front desk for help and identifies herself while she's identifying herself the cos records her contact information before reactivating the elevator 
and spying on her. Yes. Again, we have an enemy that spots her as a potential problem and not Mulder. Ooh. This is twice now. You're right. Tombs, Tombs did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Going back to Squeeze. Apparently, we love this episode. This one or Squeeze? Squeeze. I mean, because we were talking about Squeeze. Yes. Apparently, we love that episode. I think we're going to... Even though we think we hate it. We're going to reference it in every episode watch. <laughs> it's so... It's... Uh, I am confused again. <laughs> They end up in at the crime scene, which is the executive bathroom that you have to unlock yourself out of. While they're examining the crime scene, the agents meet Claude Peterson, the Eurisco building's systems engineer. There's a lot of tech jargon that I didn't bother writing down because if they didn't know what they were talking about and we don't know what they're talking about, it doesn't matter. Lamana does say that it would take a lot of heat to melt a steel key because as you remember, Drake put his key into the ignition and it melted, it fused in. So I looked up how hot it has to be for stainless steel to melt, and it's between 2,500 and 27, 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That's enough to turn sand into glass. Yes. I'm glad you remembered. (laughs) Yay. But that's stainless steel. How much for regular steel? It didn't give me regular steel. Or aluminum. I didn't look at aluminum. Hmm. Okay. I just looked up steel and stainless was the one that they gave me. While they're up there, Mulder does ask if Peterson would be able to crack the system, indicating that Peterson may be a suspect. And Peterson's like, whoa, hey, I'm just the building super. I don't know anything about anything. Can I leave? Next, we are back in the FBI building. Mulder and Scully are late for the profile meeting. This is where we meet the Iron Maiden that I had forgotten about. Who seems like a perfectly nice lady. Yes, she seems, that's it, yeah. You said it. Mulder can't find his profile on his desk. His desk is a super mess, but he thinks he knows where it's at and he can't find it. They leave without it, and once they arrive at the profile meeting, it quickly becomes clear that Lamana has stolen Mulder's profile. When Mulder confronts him after the meeting, because Mulder is a professional and doesn't call him out in the middle of the meeting, Lamana proves himself to be ripe for a position with the good old boys club. Yes, that's what I... Uh, remarked and wrote down as well. He acts like Don Logue in Squeeze. Yes! <laughs> he fits right in with that whole group. Yep. He is, is blowing it off as no big deal and reminds Mulder that the only reason Mulder is on the case is because Lamana got him on it. Yep. I asked, I asked you to help me. You helped me. What's the big deal? Yeah. Garbage. I hate him. You can tell that when they were partners, Mulder just covered for him constantly. Yes. Which is why Mulder did not want to do this, because he knew it would just be him him. doing the work and Lamana taking credit. Yep. After that, Mulder and Scully go to Wilczek's house, which looks like a one-story office building to me. Wilczek is not surprised to see them, and he has this whole neat versus scruffy people speech. So he's describing the computer science industry. He says, you can divide the computer science industry into two types of people. Neat and scruffy. Neat people like things neat. They wear nicely pressed suits and work on surface phenomena, things they can understand, market shares, and third quarter profits. He also pretends that he didn't have immense privilege growing up by explaining how he started the company. I started Eurisco out of my parents' garage. I was 22 years old. I just spent a year following around the Grateful Dead. I was wondering, does his parents' garage look a lot like the garage where Jeff Bezos created Amazon that is attached to a 1,600 square foot, $1.5 million house? Yes. (laughs) With a giant loan from his parents? Yes. 
So I just, my comment about his whole super privilege that he's uninitiated and doesn't realize that he's super privileged. He just spent an entire year not working. Yeah. At 22, or I guess 21. But still, come on. Come on. It's a lot of, you know what? I, I'm going to depart from you a little bit on this because the people who follow the Grateful Dead were not worth any money. They, they literally were able to do that because they would sell grilled cheese and stuff like that to other people who were at the concerts. Well, I've got news for you. Wilczek was not a grilled cheese maker. Maybe not, but I'm going to tell you that following the Grateful Dead does not mean you don't, that you are well off. I'm not saying anything negative about other deadheads. Oh, I'll talk all kinds of crap about deadheads because I dislike hippies a lot, but. I don't. I have, I have no shade against hippies. They all, they're have... all boomers. They all turned into people who pulled up the ladder behind them. Oh. F, F those people. Well, I do have a problem with them, with boomers. Yeah. I don't think a lot of the hardcore CEO type boomers were hippies, though. I think they sucked also. I bet you'd be surprised. Either way, I think Wilczek is gross with his story. I think his story <laughs> coming up is gross, and I am on no one's side at this point. They show a prototype of Smart Home, which is creepy, and a Project Drake killed, even though Eurisco was two years ahead of Microsoft and Cebus. I don't know what Cebus is, do you? I don't know. No, I don't. I meant to look it up, and then I decided I didn't care enough yeah. <laughs> about computer things. Uh, Wilczek also denies any involvement in the murder. He does have this other line about the neat and scruffy people. He says, It's a puzzle, Miss Scully. And scruffy minds like me like puzzles. We enjoy walking down unpredictable avenues of thought, turning new corners. But as a general rule, scruffy minds don't commit murder. To which I said, Okay, yeah, right. Of course they do. No, scruffy minds like Charles Manson. That's exactly <laughs> who I was picturing. No, he gets other people to commit murder. Ah, I see. Then we see Scully writing in her field journal, as we see in every episode, I believe. And she asks, is Wilczek a genius? And I was curious what truly defined genius. Mm -hmm. The definition is vague, but I do love this shady quote from Vogue about the 90s. <laughs> okay. You know how in the dictionary they give you how to use this word in a sentence? Okay. So this was one of the examples. As genius, in air quotes, as the New York raver kids may be, it's in Britain that the mixing of fashion and club music in the 90s is at its most exciting. Ah, it was, because we saw that in an episode of Spaced. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how shady Vogue was about raver kids in the 90s. <laughs> One of the other things she wrote down is, did Wilczek kill Drake in a fit of Oedipal rage? What does she think was happening at that company? Oh, yeah, you did mention that. That was with the content scrolling across the screen, right? Right. Somewhere in there, it, she writes, did Wilczek kill him in an Oedipal rage? So does she think that Drake is his dad? A stand-in for his dad? <sighs> They're, they look like they're the same age. Yeah. He's obviously not his real dad. Bio dad. Anyway, it's weird. I think it's weird. You're weird, Scully. Don't do that again. <laughs> it's weird. This is why you shouldn't go through somebody's personal notes, David. <laughs> and COS. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Scully originally, initially doubts Wilczek's involvement but finds that his voice matches the speaking clock Drake received before his death, uh, which we noted in the opening sequence with the phone call where we said, this is obviously Wilczek's voice. Yep. So once she hears that it's Wilczek's voice, 
as the COS or the talking clock thing, she changes her mind that it definitely must have been Wilczek who murdered Drake. Right, because in her mind, that is 100% rock-solid bad person evidence. Yes. As opposed to just his voice was used to record the stuff. Right. While Scully and Mulder are working on this template to discover the Wilczek involvement voice recording, Lamana arrives and he is a real fail guy in this scenario, in this scene. Oh, I come here with my hat in hand. Yep. And his non-pology is what I wrote. <laughs> non-pology is good. And I also wrote, I hate this guy and everyone he represents. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes, that's a lot of people. Yes, it is. Uh, they talk a little while, and Lamana decides to take take off to uh, arrest Wilczek after once again doing none of the work. I like how Scully is doing her voice matchup things. A, she's using a DAT recorder, which is fantastic. I love seeing those. That's, I don't know what that is. That's some real 1993 Radio Shack stuff. Mm. Oh, that is cutting-edge 1993 technology. Oh, okay. Yes. It's, never mind. I won't <laughs> explain what it is. Doesn't matter. No. But she says that, you know, the voices match up. Now, that does not mean he did it. It just means it's his voice. And she just showed how easy it is to get that voice to say whatever you want it to. Right. (laughs) She just did that. Yes. Well, while they're doing the voice match evidence, we see Wilczek back at his house. He fails to access the COS from his home computer, which honestly makes sense because apparently he's resigned. So why would he still have access? No, he's not part of this company. So everything he does outside of, like after he leaves in the first scene, everything he does with that company makes no sense. Right. He doesn't work there. None of this is his business. Correct. He should be staying at home with his smart house. Ugh. So because he can't get into the COS from his home computer, he's concerned and travels over to Eurisco's headquarters. He is followed there by Lamana, who was staking him out by himself, which is also weird because normally in, when there's a stakeout, there's two people in the car. Yeah, he was just, it was unofficial. He was just making sure that he kept tabs on. No, he was going to arrest him. No, Right, but while they're getting, getting the warrant to arrest him, somebody's got to keep their eyes on him to make sure he doesn't leave. That's what he was doing. Lamana was doing that? Yeah. Lamana said he was just going to go arrest him. No, he he said he was going to go make sure he doesn't go anywhere. Okay. I hate Lamana. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay. When Wilczek gets to Eurisco, he's still unable to access the COS, but discovers that it has learned to talk and mock him. He types in while he's saying what he's typing because it's TV show. TV. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a voice synthesizer. How does this COS get new hardware? Evolution. (laughs) Evolution. It's in the, I guess it's, oh, what I said earlier, all trails lead back to. Yes. (laughs) The writers don't know what computers do. While Wilczek is talking to his computer and his computer is mocking him, Lamana arrives and gets stuck in the elevator. This elevator is super fast, which I must note because it talks to you each floor. So it is a fast elevator, but it will always get you stuck in it. And that's not even the most annoying part. The most annoying part is it announces every floor as you're passing it. Yes. That would drive me crazy. (laughs) While Mana is in the elevator and it gets stuck, it starts to fall. There's some back and forth between this shot and because Wilczek is watching him on the surveillance and yelling at the COS. And obviously the COS is navigating all of this stuff and making it happen. The thing that I really want to talk about in this scene is that Lamana is falling to his death in the elevator. 
and he's thrown to the ground. And the force of the falling elevator pushes him to the ground. Have you ever been on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at Disney? Absolutely not. Well, one of the reasons that the elevator drop at the Tower of Terror is situated in such a way where you have a shoulder harness is because when you plunge downward, you rise up out of your seat. Makes sense. So this man is falling in the elevator and being pushed to the ground. So I need to know what the gravitational situation in this elevator is. I think to thank for this, we have 1993 TV technology. You have to show that something's happening to him, but you're not going to have him rising off the ground. They should have pulley system or something. <laughs> okay. Put him in the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at Disney. Was it open in 1993? I have no idea. I did not look at when it opened. <laughs> As the scene ends, Lamana is killed off screen and the audience feels nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Skip to Mulder in his office. He's watching t- the tape of Lamana's death and also a tape of Wilczek yelling at his computer. Scully turns off his monitor and says that Mulder is grieving. When Mulder pushes back saying Wilczek couldn't be the killer, Scully informs him that Wilczek has signed a confession. Uh, one of the things they go back and forth on is Mulder says, why would he go back there? Same question I had. Yes. And Scully says to destroy evidence, to which Mulder says, why would he pose for the camera then? Correct. Why would he pose for the camera and visibly, clearly yell the word, no! Oh my gosh, yes. If he's going to murder somebody. He's yelling no with his whole body. He <laughs> He's not yelling from his diaphragm. He's yelling from his toes. <laughs> he means it. He did not want Lamana to die. He's the only person. Only one. Who cared. I'm indifferent. After that scene, uh, Mulder goes to Wilczek's house with the warrant that you rightly said that they needed. But Mulder is turned away by other agents who have Code 5 clearance. Yeah, Code 5. Which obviously Mulder does not have. No, he's a basement guy. Do you have Code 5 clearance? I can't tell you that. Oh, that's probably true. I cannot tell you. Hmm. Well, next scene. <laughs> Mulder... Can't wait for the next scene. <laughs> Mulder is unhappy with his Code 5 clearance that negates his own warrant, but leaves. But because he's not satisfied, he goes to Deep Throat. He goes and meets up with the bathroom troll. Yes. And the bathroom troll does not disappoint. He answers questions with questions. <laughs> he dodges everything. He does general bathroom trolley things, and I wrote down a bunch word for word. Okay, so I also have scenes. Well, I just have, he said, <laughs> he answers a question with, what do you think they'd want with the most innovative programmer in this hemisphere? That's not an answer. He says, how much do you know about artificial intelligence? <laughs> Do you remember Helsinki? The first time a chess-playing computer ever beat a Grandmaster? Yes! Mulder remembers everything. Because it's all aliens, so he remembers it all. But it's just so great. Thank you, Bathroom Troll, for continuing your bathroom trolliness. (laughs) I appreciate you. I hope everybody else appreciates you. Well, I'm glad you love this segment because I actually have a, a segment to add here, too. So let's just tell everybody what happens. Mulder meets with Deep Throat, a.k.a. the bathroom troll, who isn't happy with being called, but explains that the COS has an artificial intelligence developed by Wilczek, and the Department of Defense is trying to acquire it, as you covered in some of the the pieces that you've read. So when Deep Throat says, how much do you know about artificial intelligence, 
Mulder says, I thought it was only theoretical. And that's when Deep Throat says the thing about Helsinki and the Grandmaster. And Grandmaster always makes me think of KKK. (laughs) So, yikes. Deep Throat also says, and the rumor was that he did it by developing the first adaptive network. And Mulder says, adaptive network? And Deep Throat says, it's a learning machine. So I have this book called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane. It is how artificial intelligence works and why it's making the world a weirder place. And I think everybody should read this because it is delightful. (laughs) Do you remember when I was reading this how much I was giggling? Yes, I do. I remember this book very much. I'm reading a scientific book and just giggling. So I want to tell you some of the things that... AI is doing now. Remember this show, this episode took place in 1993. And in this book, which came out in 2019, I believe, Janelle Shane fed in a bunch of content into an AI computer and it spit out some various things. I won't go into all of the data science because she does it and she does it in a fascinating and entertaining way. Again, buy this book. But I do want to read this one part. She put in some different things to generate book reviews and other types of reviews, entertainment reviews, I guess. And here are a few that it generated. This is a great book that I would recommend to anyone who loves the great story of the characters and the series of books. (laughs) That's good. That's a good review. (laughs) It's accurate. I love this song. I listen to it over and over again and never get tired of it. It is so addicting. I love it. That actually sounds real. It does. That sounds like an Olivia Rodrigo review. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best product I have ever used to clean my shower stall. It is not greasy and does not strip the water of the water and stain the white carpet. (laughs) I have been using it for a few years and it works well for me. (laughs) That's good. Why do you have white carpet in your bathroom? (laughs) And this one is my favorite. These workout DVDs are very useful. You can cover your whole butt with them. (laughs) Must be buns of steel. (laughs) Right? Very 90s or 80s. I'm not sure. She also fed into it a bunch of different types of Halloween costumes. And I'll read just a couple of them. So these, in case you're looking for Halloween costume ideas, Bird Wizard. It's a good one. Disco Monster. Oh, I would love that one. The Grim Reaper Mime. The Grim, I I like that one too. I really like that one actually. Uh, Spartan Gandalf. (laughs) 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 Nice. Uh, Moth Horse. Okay. It sounds like a cryptid. Yeah. (laughs) It's what Mothman rides on when he's not flying. Vampire Hog Bride. Okay. Statue of Pizza, and my personal favorite, Ghost of Pickle. (laughs) Ghost of Pickle. (laughs) So again, this was all in You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane, and I highly recommend it if you're looking for a good insight into artificial intelligence and how it's truly working in 2019. Okay. All right. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not afraid of this computer. (laughs) I think what you're saying is Brad Wilczek is a genius way ahead of his time. Oh. Because he has a scruffy mind. (laughs) (laughs) Above average intelligence. Of course, yes. After meeting with Deep Throat, Mulder goes to meet with Wilczek, who has falsely confessed to Lamana's murder, as we knew from Scully earlier. Wilczek complains about having to wear shoes because eccentric millionaire. Scruffy mind. Then he complains about the consequences of his and others' actions, but Mulder isn't having it. He goes right where I expected him to, mm-hmm. with I am become death destroyer of worlds. Yes, 
So he says, After the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Robert Oppenheimer spent the rest of his life regretting he'd ever glimpsed an atom. And Mulder says, Oppenheimer may have regretted his actions, but he never denied responsibility for them. Which is true. And then Wilczek said, He loved the work, Mr. Mulder. His mistake wasn't sharing it with an immoral government. I won't make the same mistake. No, the mistake was creating the thing. And you've already made that mistake, Mr. Wilczek. It's already done. Which is where I have a problem. He's talking about, well, you're probably getting ready to talk about this, so I'll wait for you. Okay. Oh, nope, I don't. I go into the computer virus piece. So go ahead and say whatever you're going to say. So he talks about how there's, you know, the lesser of two evils. I'm going to sit in jail instead Mm. of, I don't know what the other evil is. Because the machine's already built. Yes. He seems to not realize this. The machine is built and it's out there. It's sitting there. And does he think nobody else is ever going to figure it out? Probably. He's a genius, remember? Of above (laughs) average intelligence. It just makes no sense to me that those are his options. The best case scenario is me sitting in jail. But the computer is still out there running. So he's doing nothing. That's usually what millionaires want to do. Yeah. He, He thinks he's facing the consequences for his actions. But the consequences are not done yet. No. So Mulder convinces Wilczek to develop a computer virus that can destroy the COS after this whole will-he-won't-he scenario. Scully doesn't accept Mulder's belief that the COS is sentient, but later discovers that the machine is hacking into her computer. When she's arguing with Mulder, he says... I forget what he says. Like, why would he say that the computer is alive or whatever? And she says as an alibi, and it's a bad one. He's already in jail. He, he would not right. come up with an alibi. No, that doesn't make sense. So, sorry, Alex Ganza and Howard Gordon on that one, too. <clears throat> you clearly don't know what alibis are as well as computers. <laughs> Scully joins Mulder at the Eurisco building to help him destroy the machine. That was a bunch of scenes mashed up into one because that was really moving it forward. When she showed up, I wanted her to do a little dance while eating sunflower seeds and telling Mulder he was wasting his time. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. Because I, we, of course, have to reference Squeeze again. Uh, oh, man, we might have to do a bonus episode just about Squeeze and do a deeper dive on it. You know what? How it's so influential in our brains anyway. <laughs> You will not be disappointed as we go forward. But I do want to say that Scully is more professional than I'll ever be with a partner, but I do fully reserve my right to taunt my partner. I know. I know very well. I'm just saying. Mulder and Scully agree to go inside the Eurisco building, and the COS hinders the agents getting into the parking garage by destroying another car. (laughs) They're 0 for 2 with these cars in the last couple of episodes. They walk inside and climb 28 flights of stairs when the COS shuts down the building power because remember the COS is controlling literally everything including how the water flows in the bathroom faucet. It just let them get 28 floors up. Mm-hmm. Mulder doesn't want to get electrocuted and he brings his oven mitt to test <laughs> the door. I believe it's probably an insulated glove. <laughs> He probably did not borrow Darlene Morris's oven mitt. No. (laughs) No. All right. Well, whatever. He doesn't want to get electrocuted, and so he doesn't, which is great. (laughs) Scully ends up climbing into the air vents. Well, before she goes up in the air vents, he covers up the camera with a glove. Yes. Which made me think, why haven't you just been smashing all of the cameras on your way up? Since you're walking past all of them, you don't want it to know where you're at. Smash all of the cameras. Uh, Because of budgets. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> you, you don't want to cost your risk too much money no 
I mean actual production budget. I know, but in my version, it's funny. Okay. <laughs> They're thinking about the Eurisco's budget. Yes, the only house that they destroy is, what's her name, Darlene? Uh, well, that's the NSA. NSA does that. Oh, the NSA destroys. FBI is very, you know what, here comes a true statement. <laughs> FBI is very concerned about corporations' budgets and costs. <laughs> Moving on. So Scully climbs up into the air vents, and the air vents have powerful air conditioning. To say the least. It's so powerful, it blows her through the air vents. And this is why office buildings are always freezing. Apparently. And like 42 seconds after she climbs up there, Mulder's just pacing back and forth and says something. Like, come on, Scully. Yeah. Like, come on, Scully, you don't know the layout of these air ducts? What's wrong with you? Hurry up already. (laughs) I put together all of the scenes where she's in the air duct, and then I put together all of the scenes where Mulder and Peterson are, because it goes back and forth. So, surprise, Peterson shows up. But Scully is in the air ducts, being blown through them like a rag doll. Oh, why is there always paper in air ducts? If anybody works with air ducts and vents and HVAC systems... In office buildings, are there tiny scraps of paper just in there always? And no dust. No dust, tiny scraps of paper. Yeah. And tiny people. Yeah. So she's blown through the air ducts toward a fan, because of course, and she catches herself, and her non-tactical flashlight is destroyed. Ah, she should have got a tactical flashlight. I know, if she had, it probably would have jammed in there and stopped the fan, and everything would have been fine. Yep, even a mag light. But, no. It's destroyed. She pulls her gun and shoots the fan motor. Trivia. This is the very first time Scully has discharged her weapon. Oh. I wonder if she has more than one bullet in this magazine. She does because she takes at least three shots. That's right. She does. Good for her. Yep. I'm glad glad she finally learned the magazines hold more than one bullet. (laughs) To load her weapon. So while Scully is battling the COS and the... HVAC, uh, Peterson comes through the door that Mulder was expecting Scully to come through. Peterson takes Mulder to the COS control room where Mulder uses the code WillCheck gave him to access the computer. However, this is where Peterson reveals himself as a mole for the defense department and he tries to stop Mulder from uploading the virus. Scully arrives all banged up and holds Peterson at gunpoint. Peterson tries to talk Scully into following higher orders. He has this whole scene about how he's he's trying to talk her into choosing the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> and we witness Scully having to decide whether to trust Mulder or her employer. She doesn't seem to have too much of a issue here. I think it's because this is technology and not the supernatural. Oh, so she believes she trusts Mulder on it because it's not aliens. Mm. It's just technology that she doesn't quite understand or think is possible yet, but she knows that it will be possible eventually, so why not now? Okay. So that's my, I think that's why she's so quick to believe Mulder right here. Okay, yep. She chooses Mulder and allows him to upload the virus, which destroys the COS. After this, Mulder meets again with Deep Throat, who explains that Wilczek is being detained by the government at an undisclosed location. They do love their undisclosed locations. They really do. When Mulder asks if the COS survived, Deep Throat assures him that the virus left no trace of it, and that scientists from the Defense Department have unsuccessfully examined the machine for any remaining signs of the program. At the Eurisco building, Peterson directs a team attempting to recover the COS, and is told by his superiors to destroy the machine in six hours. Unbeknownst to Peterson, the COS comes back to life and watches as he says to himself, going to figure this thing out if it kills me. Then the credits. 
And then me getting really frustrated because we have another loose end, just like in flipping squeeze. So, <laughs> just like squeeze, we have another loose end. Yep. So I was going to ask, I was going to start a discussion with you. About by, why we love squeeze so much. <laughs> no, by asking, do you think any of the monsters of the week have been stopped up to this point? So we have aliens who just do whatever they want, whenever they want. We have Tombs, who we see him in prison, but he looks like he's going to get out. We have, it's episode four, Conduit. Conduit, aliens again, who just do whatever they want. <laughs> then a ghost. No, wait, five. What's five? Then a Jersey Devil. So they just murdered that lady. So that, And then a ghost, a literal ghost, just does whatever goes off into the ether or whatever. So the Jersey Devil's the only thing that's ever really been stopped. But there's a child. As far as we know. True, there is a child, but the one that we knew. I know, but the, the monster of the week being the Jersey Devil, which... Turns out to be a family of Jersey Devils. Okay. Isn't stopped. So have they stopped anything? They've briefly stopped tombs. We don't know. Like, he's still alive. As far as we know, immortal. So... Right. Eventually, he'll serve all of his time. Worst case scenario for him. He serves all of his time. So do you feel like it's satisfying to remain open-ended, or would you prefer a more buttoned-up ending? I am a little annoyed by the loose ends. That's why this one, when the beeping started, I got real disheartened during, <laughs> during that first watch. I, it was like, ah, oh, no, why? And then I blamed Gerald Friedman. <laughs> okay, well, you sound like you, like, none of the monsters of the week have been stopped, and you don't like that. No, they, we need some sort of resolution unsatisfying so we'll get to some of the reviews that i teased from the beginning are you oh, ready i can't wait so we already know what the writers think about or at least yeah we know <laughs> the writers weren't satisfied and we know what one of the writers thought specifically so here are two reviews that i found one is by den of geeks matt high reviewing ghost in the machine he says Moreover, there really is a sense of mystery and suspense lacking so far. From the very beginning of this episode, it's clear that the machine is behind the murders, which makes the scenes where Mulder and Scully are interrogating the computer's creator rather pointless. Not wrong. That's true. Where I also wanted to juxtapose it with The Guardian, who listed The Ghost in the Machine as one of the 13 best X-Files episodes ever. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you expect from The Guardian? That. <laughs> yeah. Bad takes. Yeah. Yep. All right. So who are you going to ship in this episode? I am shipping Brad Wilczek and literally anybody. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that dude needs a life. He needs somebody to distract him from whatever the hell is going on in his head. Because he's so obsessed with this company that he has no part of and should have just left alone. Just Brad and anybody who could put up with him. The COS, I guess. Not a person distract him from the COS. I want him to get away from all of that. Um, I'm going to ship the bathroom troll and secret information. <laughs> all right. Because there's really no romance <laughs> in this whole episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this was a tough one for shipping. And then when I came up with mine, I was very proud of myself. Good job. Thank you. So how would you survive this? All right. My solution to this is I'm going to get my MCSE certification and take care of the problem myself. Okay. All, all you need is that MCSC certification and you're good to go. Hmm. I was wondering, are there any women in, in, in this building at all? I, are there any women in this episode at all besides Scully? Scully. And, um, and the Iron Maiden? Oh yeah, Iron Maiden, who was perfectly nice. Yes. So my survival in this would be to be a woman who's not investigating the COS. <laughs> That'll do it. So basically me. <laughs> Just be yourself. 
Be yourself, baby. That's all you need. <laughs> that's, that's it. All right. Anything else on this episode? Well, we have lasted seven episodes now. Oh, yes. We have lasted as long as the 2011 version of Charlie's Angels. Oh. Starring Minka Kelly, Annie Ilanza, Rachel Taylor, and Ramon Rodriguez as Bosley. Oh. And for one episode, Pedro Pascal. Oh! I feel like he's come up before. Yeah, he's the Mandalorian. I know he's the Mandalorian. I feel like he's come up before in our discussions about the X-Files. If he has, I don't remember. That's all we got. Until next week. Keep uh, looking at the skies. (laughs) Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. This episode edited by Dave Reed. You can follow us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can email us at thecastfiles at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. Music by Hal6. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. If you could please go rate and review us at Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, that would be doing us a huge favor. And you know what? You're pretty wonderful. <laughs>